Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie, and John, this week we'll be looking at a new series about Christian scholars who are engaging in the Global South. Stan, we're talking about the second book in the series. It's by Susan Van Zanten, and it's called Reading a Different Story, A Christian Scholar's Journey from America to Africa. And the series you mentioned is called Turning South, and it was the brainchild of Joel Carpenter Mm -hmm. at Calvin. It's a series that is intended to highlight the personal experience of outstanding Christian scholars whose work has evolved to include a strong interest in the global South, the global East. It started with a wonderful book by Nick Wolterstorff. Susan's, as I said, is the second book. And the third book in the series, which is coming out this fall, and I've already read The Galley of, is by Mark Knoll. So it's a terrific series that Baker is publishing. Today we're going to be talking about the very fine book by Susan Van Zandt. She grew up in a Dutch Reformed community in a beautiful area of Washington State. And It was a setting where the traditional Dutch Reformed culture was very strong. It was also a particular time in American history, the post-World War II era. Those things shaped the community that she grew up in. And she has a little description right at the beginning of the overall arc of the book, which I liked very much. She notes that her graduate training was in classic 19th century American literature, Hawthorne, Melville, Dickinson. But for much of my professional life, my research has focused on African literature. My scholarly turn to the South was steered by a providential conjunction of personal circumstances, academic winds, and world events. One small opening led to an insignificant decision, which led to another opportunity, and so on. I've never operated with a five-year plan. Rather, Mm. I've tried to be faithful to the opportunities and passions God has given me, the blue skies and my internal compass. And such attempts at faithfulness have taken me in unanticipated and sometimes ironic directions. My journey, like all journeys, was shaped by the cultural currents of its time. Mm. And that's part of the reason I think that the series is so interesting as a whole is that In each one of these stories, you can see the twists and turns of a life. And at the same time, to anyone who's interested in the kind of thing that many readers of books and culture care about, Jesus Christ and the life of the mind, these stories are not just of interest to specialists in a particular area of study, philosophy or literature or history as in the case of the first three scholars who were chosen, though they are very much of interest to anyone who's followed the development of those particular fields, but they have a larger import because all of us experience that kind of interplay that she's talking about here as our lives unfold. So is this mainly an autobiographical kind of a piece? All three books have a strong autobiographical element, and at the same time, they're not simply autobiographical, so that Susan describes her education, the places that took her, how she got into 
teaching, how her scholarship evolved. So yes, it's autobiographical, but at the same time, she's talking about, for instance, how Christians thought about the larger world. She's talking about how she became a feminist. So that's autobiographical, but it's also part of the history of America over the last 50 years, and in particular, the interaction between the larger American culture and Christians within it. So it's autobiographical, but it's also about much more than just the story of a particular life. What areas does she focus on in Africa? Particularly South Africa. People who are regular readers of books and culture will recognize Susan's name because she often has written about contemporary African literature for us. She's a terrific writer on that subject. I have to admit that part of my interest in this book was that in some ways, even though her experience is in some ways very different from mine, in other ways there's been an overlap. So that, for instance, she went to Westmont College in Santa Barbara for her undergraduate Mm -hmm. study. And as you know, I went there in my junior and senior year and graduated there and then taught there for a year after I graduated. So that's where Wendy and I lived the first three years we were married. And she was there just a little later than I was, but many of the same faculty were there. There's a wonderful moment when she describes a conversation with an English professor, Dr. Lineup, who he and his wife became lifelong friends of ours. And she describes him calling her into his office after she'd given a presentation class on a novella by Faulkner. And he asked her, have you ever considered becoming a college professor? And she said, I was completely taken aback. When I was growing up, people often assumed I would become a teacher as teaching or becoming a nurse was the fallback position for intelligent Linden girls before they got married. But I knew that I was not gifted at working with children or adolescents, and I resented the implicit sexism behind that assumption. But a college professor? Westmont had only two women professors, both of whom were reserved and undemanding, and neither had inspired me. And that was a key moment in her life. And there are other moments like that. I won't try to trace them all here, but there are points of intersection. And so for me, partly it was just a strong personal interest of someone whose experience in some respects has been very much similar to mine. And at the same time, one important difference, of course, is she was going through these things as a young woman at a time when the possibilities for women were being opened, but only with a fair amount of contention. And so it I say that partly to suggest both how I think this book would be good for young women now to read to get a sense of recent history, but as my own response indicates, it's not a book that is only for women. How has her interest in and growing expertise with Africa impacted her life, either professionally or personally? It's affected her life partly in that she was drawn to it through a commitment to justice, and she mentions the influence of Nick Woldersdorf Mm -hmm. on her there. It's affected her professionally. For instance, as she describes here, I began to argue, beginning at a national MLA convention session on teaching world literature in 2007, 
that one of the most significant but little noted contexts for teaching contemporary world literature from the global south in general and from Africa in particular was the explosive growth of Christianity. So she has been able to be a voice in her profession that brings that perspective. And I might say also that I have a lot of good friends who are professors of literature, and some of them express the attitude that the inclusion in the curriculum of, for instance, writing from Africa is a bad sign, not that they would deny that there's writing of interest there, but they pose it as a kind of zero-sum game, and they frame it as a trendy rejection of the heritage of Western culture and that sort of thing. I personally think that's a very false way to frame it, even though there are instances in which it is done that way. <laughs> you know, it can be done that way, but there's nothing intrinsic about it sure. that forces you to do that. In fact, I know you and I have talked about this before. You know, ever since I started to read, I've loved to read things from all over the world. She says, I've come to believe that Christian literary scholars should be cosmopolitans in their reading, teaching, research, and scholarship moving from the excessive nationalism often found in literary studies to study cultural particulars found across the globe. Taking a global approach to literature allows us to balance our local identity formed through our embodiment in a physical social world with a cosmopolitan identity endowed by our common creation in the image of God. I'm not suggesting that we eliminate our study of national identity and traditions. I currently teach more American than African literature, and my research program includes Emily Dickinson, but that we reframe that study in global terms. I can imagine someone who's not involved in literary study hearing this and saying, well, that's very nice, but it's so remote from my concerns. But it isn't really, and that's part of what underlies this series. It has to do with a much larger reality, whether we're academics or people in some completely different walk of life in business, let's say. The question of how we think about our place in the world is a pressing one, especially for us as Christians. And that's part of the reason I think that this series is so timely. Certainly, and I'd rather have good African literature than poor Western literature. <laughs> <laughs> well, amen to that. <laughs> right, thanks, John.